Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. So today we are continuing our series for parents, and I love today's episode. I love the topic, and I love the two ladies who have joined me in this episode. The conversation is very rich, and so I'm really excited to gift this to you. So I have Erin Miller and Megan Wallenfang who have joined me on the podcast. And so Megan and Erin both are trained in all three levels of catechesis of the good shepherd and they are both formation leaders in level one megan also hosts a podcast with her husband called the shoeless podcast if you want to check that out and Erin is on our cgs usa board of trustees and they are both mothers of six so between the three of us we have 18 children's worth of experience as mothers to add to this conversation and we really enjoyed pondering how to live out the mercy sacraments or in the mercy found in the sacraments within our home and within our domestic church and how we can live that out, the mercy of God on a day-to-day basis and how we can also reflect the mercy of God in our relationships in the home. I hope you enjoy. Aaron and Megan, welcome to the Good Shepherd in the Child podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're excited to have both of you on the podcast with all of your wisdom, both as formation leaders, but also, and more importantly, as mothers to really dive into this topic of merciful parenting, living out those mercy sacraments in our home. But before we dive into that, I would love for each of you to tell us a little bit about who you are and your involvement in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am Megan, and I am a wife and mother. I was given the gift of catechesis of the Good Shepherd when my daughter was even in the womb. We had friends who were speaking about it. And so it's been something that's been with my husband and I ever since she was newly conceived. So 22 years, I've had the opportunity to be a catechist in several different places. Most recently, I am in Jesu Catholic Church in Detroit, and it just celebrated 30 years of being in atrium this past summer. And I remember walking in the atrium for the first time in Jesu and feeling the presence of the children who have gone before just dripping in the atrium. (sighs) So that was really amazing. That really is amazing. Mm -hmm. And how many children do you have and what's the age range? We have six, um, ages 22 to eight. Nice. And you're also a formation leader. Is that right, Megan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In love for level one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Aaron and I have had the joy of, of doing it together. So that's been a gift. And Aaron, how about you? Well, I wanted Megan to go first because my journey into Catechesis of the Good Shepherd was um, largely facilitated by Megan. So I'm Aaron. I'm married to my husband, Matt, for 15 years, and we have six children ages 11 down to almost two. When my third child was a baby in 2015, I took my first formation course in Canton, Ohio. And it really happened. It's, it's totally the movement of the Holy Spirit. I had not ever been involved in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, but somehow I had heard about it and it filed away in my brain as 
this is good. Whenever you have children ready for formation, for faith formation, this is what you have to find. But I didn't know there was an atrium in the city where I lived. I didn't know any other catechists. I was serving as a catechist in a traditional faith formation PSR program and often feeling like what I was offering was not not enough. I often would think I can tell them everything about God, but I don't know how to help them meet God. Mm -hmm. So Megan and I knew each other through our parish and through a Carmelite community. And I remember when Megan came up to me and said, we're going to have a catechist of the Good Shepherd catechist formation. Do you want to come? And I was instantly covered in goosebumps because I had (laughs) never told Megan, I want to be a CGS catechist. I, d- I don't think I even knew what that meant, but I knew I wanted it. I'm goosebumps now, Erin. <laughs> <laughs> right? So um, so here we are. Uh, my The child who attended level one formation with me is now almost eight years old. So that was also when my oldest was about three. So it was really the time was ripe. Um, I would go to Carmelite meetings with Megan, and I vividly remember having a conversation where I said, I do not know what is going on with my three-year-old and then describing what I was observing. And Megan started speaking to me about the planes of development and the sensitive periods and what was happening. Of course, she didn't use that terminology, but that was exactly what she was talking to me about. And I felt like when I started formation that CGS handed me a key that Mm -hmm. unlocked my child. It -hmm. all made sense. And so I hope that through this conversation, that's what people will discover um, when it comes to the idea of mercy and parenting, that there's so much in CGS, not just for faith formation, but it can be a key that helps you look at your child a different way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Helps us look at our children in a different way. I love that. Well, let's start there. What in our work in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, how do we approach moral formation with the children. Let's start with that foundation. I think that the moral formation begins even in the womb. Montessori identified sensitive periods. And so we know that one of the sensitive periods is relationship. Mm -hmm. And this relationship begins so strongly, even in the womb for the Mm -hmm. child with the mother in particular, but even outside of the, um, the mother as well, the voices that the child hears. So this idea of relationship being the foundation of morality. And so within the first plane of development, the child is offered a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. So in CGS, we offer an encounter, we offer an environment of an encounter with Jesus Christ through a love relationship. So I think this is the foundation of Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. A relationship, not based Mm -hmm. on rules, Regulations, right. Ten Commandments, all those things mm-hmm. that come later in life are the mm-hmm. foundation that we have mm-hmm. of our moral formation is in relationship. Because right. if you think about it, that is the that is the root of the why for for, for moral formation. And if you don't mm-hmm. have that relationship to be your why, then it's more out of obligation, guilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. But if it's rooted mm-hmm. in a relationship, a love, you love me, I love you, I mm-hmm. desire 
to behave in this way out of love, respond in this way out of love. Those are the roots. Mm -hmm. I was just reading in a book, it had an explanation of the word obedience as obediary, meaning openness to hearing. And we often think of obedience from the perspective of coercion. But when I was reflecting on that in preparation for this conversation, um, someone's openness to hearing is there when they have a deep relationship of love. Um, so how much easier is it to be open to hearing if first there is love? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we hope for the child when we offer them the good shepherd. Oh, mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So then how do we take this approach to mercy, to moral formation, and how do we, how do we bring that into our homes, into our domestic churches? What would be one of the first steps for that? I think I always think about Montessori philosophy in reference to this idea of a triangular relationship, which involves a relationship of the child, the adult, and the environment. And the child, if we picture this this triangle, the child is at um, the apex, the top, like an equilateral triangle with the child at the top, and then the adult mm -hmm. and the environment supporting. So when we want to think about what it looks like in the home, and we want to think about these two components that support the child. So what about the adult do we need to think about? Linda Catalano mentioned in a, the previous podcast the importance of the authentic relationship um, of the adults, of the catechists. So for the parents, I think we need to see, do we name God as mercy? As Pope Francis says, the name of God is mercy. This is the primary attribute of God is mercy. So as parents, are we able to speak that? Are we able to say, mm -hmm. I believe that the name of God is mercy and I have accepted this mercy for myself. Do I believe that I am good, that I'm beautiful, that I'm worthy? Do I give myself mercy, pardon things that I make mistakes for? Do I pardon my spouse? Do I offer mercy to my spouse? I was looking in listening to God with children. One of my favorite chapters is the one on the adults. And Dr. Montessori suggests before working with children um, that the adults use an examination of, of conscience. She says um, that we must acknowledge the two capital sins of pride and anger. The pride arises from overvaluing our mm -hmm. part, informing the child. The anger is kindled when the child, whom we consider in some way to be our possession, doesn't respond as we expected. So yeah, like Megan said, we want to look at the child with a gaze of compassion, but first, do we look at ourselves with a gaze of compassion and examine our conscience in light of compassion because we know that's how God looks at, at us, even if we have faults or failings or sins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the more on this mothering journey that I go, the more that I realize it's so much, so much is a reflection of myself. Like like you said, how much mercy do I show myself will be a direct relation to how much mercy my child is able to accept or give themselves. It's a, it's a huge cross, honestly. It's a huge cross to feel that 
my relationship with mercy, with myself, with God, with my spouse, with my children, will have almost a foundational effect on my children's ability to accept mercy. That's a huge cross. But I'm also comforted in the fact that our God is so merciful that he is beyond what Mm -hmm. I am capable of. So even if I mess up on this constantly, um, he is able to do great things with me, with my children. Yes. And this is why the relationship is so important to know that God has a relationship with, with you, with Aaron, with me, all of us individually. And thankfully it doesn't all hinge on us because God has a relationship with all of your children and Aaron's children and my children. Praise God that, you know, that this relationship is for, is unique for each one of us and that it doesn't all rest on me. And that they can thrive with their relationship in spite of me, in spite of the things that I do wrong. Right. Because like the quote from Shauna Gobi says, I think sometimes we have that pride of thinking the children belong to mm-hmm. us, but they aren't. They are their own beings mm-hmm. one, with their own path to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes as parents, we take some things very personally because mm-hmm. we see them as little reflections of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But really, they are their own full human being from the moment of conception, mm-hmm. deserving of full respect, but also with their own path. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're on the journey. We're co-walking with them, just like in the atrium. We're accompanying them. We are not the master teacher. Mm-hmm. Like I think sometimes we feel like we are. I think that's really liberating um, that our children aren't a referendum on us. Yeah, they're not our work. They, I mean, serving them is our work and accompanying them is our work, but they have their own work mm-hmm. and so much that they're working out on their own that we are just here to support and accompany. Right, right. And that work isn't going to include falling, mm-hmm. which is part of our journey and as well as part of their journey. Mm-hmm. And so accompanying them through that as well. But modeling to them like the mercy that we have for ourselves when we fall, when we make mistakes as a gift to ourselves, but also as a model to them on how they can react to their own mistakes and falls and bumps in life. Mm -hmm. So, Megan, you spoke about the adult. Mm -hmm. What about the environment? One thing that I've been pondering about this topic that came to mind and really lit up for me was the mercy seat of Jewish worship in the Hebrew scriptures and Exodus, especially we read about this mercy seat, which was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was this mercy seat was a place where in the sanctuary where, where people, well, the priests would go receive mercy for all of the people. And if, if the mercy seat was in the sanctuary, then our, home is a sanctuary it's a domestic church and so can we say that the environment of our home is a mercy home and i've just been hanging on this idea of a mercy home and what it looks like this environment of a mercy home where god dwells in fullness of mercy and ready to receive all who approach Um, and i think that just in the atrium or any monastery environments the environment does the work again in spite of the adults. So I think that in our mercy homes, we can set up an environment of mercy that can carry out mercy even when we as parents are tired 
for not feeling merciful and maybe want to do the opposite of mercy. But if our, our home is an environment of mercy, it will always give mercy even on those times when we feel we're not able to as parents. So I've been wondering about this mercy home and, and what it looks like and what mm-hmm. what's inside of it and how it operates. Yeah, that's what I'm pondering too as you're speaking. What does that look like? How do I create that in my own home? Maybe it's a home of constantly asking for forgiveness. You know, it's like that's more of the breath of the house is quick to say that I'm sorry when we failed. Maybe it's a home that's safe to to show your your faults mm-hmm. without feeling judged or that you might get in trouble mm-hmm. for the mistakes that we make. And I think we can look to our moral parable for what that feeling, what we would hope our homes, what kind of feeling we hope our homes create. You know, if we look to the found sheep, it's a celebration when the sheep come is carried home. And the found coin, it's a celebration when the coin is found. And so are our homes places where our children feel a sense of belonging? Whether that's a sense of belonging um, in all the ways you discussed with Nicole on the first podcast in this series, when we talked about just the practical, physical environment and how that makes children feel independent and successful. Is it a place of belonging in that we accept the tantrum of the three-year-old because that's how they work through um, all the things they're growing and developing right now? Is it a place where the 17-year-old can have a tantrum because there are also really hard things then? So yeah, it's, uh, I think of a mercy home as having, yeah, certainly physical attributes, but also just an environment of belonging for everyone who lives there, no matter what they are Mm -hmm. going through. When we think of these mercy sacraments, especially of baptism and reconciliation and Eucharist, I think it's really neat to see this connection of a particular sacramentality in the home that's related as Mm -hmm. well. With baptism in the home, do we offer this this sacramentality of bathing, of being washed clean, and of being clothed in new clothes? You know, certainly as parents of young children, we do this for them. We offer a time to bathe them, to clean them, to put new clothes on. And maybe sometimes we've even done this for our older children as well. Mm-hmm. And we we listen in this kind of mirrors the idea of reconciliation, but we listen and we listen with a Pentecost listening, like Angarito talks about listening towards understanding, empathy. So we listen with an active listening that asks questions because maybe sometimes we don't have anything to say, but we can at least ask questions. And then also with the Eucharist in our homes, we see this in how we feed our children. So I think these moral sacraments are are kind of lived out in a particular way in the home to reflect what it is that we receive in the church as well. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's very easy to overlook those everyday activities. Mm -hmm. 
of eating, Mm -hmm. bathing, listening, Mm -hmm. especially as a mother, I think that those tasks can get very mundane, can get very um, exhausting. Mm -hmm. But to think of them as reflections of sacraments, as a way for us to literally experience the sacraments Mm -hmm. in our home Mm -hmm. can add a add an element of love Mm -hmm. to those activities if we do them more with purpose, to do them more with awareness of of, uh, presence, calling God into those activities, like can make those, it makes me think of like St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, it's those small acts of love Mm -hmm. that can reflect this grandeur of God's love and mercy. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, like you mentioned, just the mundane and sometimes when we're raising children. It does feel that way. But I think sometimes when there's more of a crisis that happens, when there are sort of interventions with children and there's more of an acute time of addressing these needs of bathing and putting on new clothes and listening and feeding, I think that's when, you know, we really sense the connection. But like you were saying, to be able to connect it even in the mundane, even when there's not a crisis, is something we as parents can work on as well. Mm-hmm. It just occurred to me, um, as you were saying that, Megan, that when we think of the forgiving father parable, the first response of the father when he welcomed the son back was to bathe him mm-hmm. and put on new clothes mm-hmm. and to feed him. Wow. So yeah, it's, there's the everyday aspect, the repetitive aspect, but then... You have to do those things in the mundane, repetitive times so that in the moment of crisis, we know to fall back on mm. on what we mm-hmm. already know to be the, the restorative response, mm-hmm. the merciful response of bathing, making clean, putting on fresh clothes, and mm-hmm. listening and eating. It's restoring you back to your full sonship. Like I'm just, I keep having that image. I'm sure y'all have heard the story of, I think it's like an African culture story of the child or the person who has done wrong to the community and the community just embraces them mm-hmm. because they yes. see that this person in this moment, their deepest need is is community, is love, mm-hmm. is acceptance image keeps coming in my head in the family, you know, mm-hmm. like when our child, you know, like you were saying, the three-year-old that's throwing a tantrum, really, they're completely dysregulated and what they need most is a tight hug maybe or or what you're saying of bathing and clothing and feeding and listening, like somehow applying those reflections of the sacraments in those moments of um, dysregulation between within a child or within a parent or yourself restoring back their sonship or daughtership Mm -hmm. in that beauty. Like, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. When you were talking about the African traditions of support, and I think even in those moments, they don't focus on what the person did wrong, but they tell the person how good they are, I think, right? Yeah. Over and over. And isn't that just this, that's what the mercy parables Mm -hmm. right there Mm -hmm. when the the good shepherd doesn't tell the sheep, well, you know, I told you not to run away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the, the prodigal son, you know, we call it the forgiving father. We, The father doesn't tell the son all the things he did wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a complete love mm-hmm. 
and then leads to celebration. Mm-hmm. Like how we can reflect that in our own parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like too how you said um, sometimes you know with the three year old we might just give them a hug. And Pope Francis has a quote um, in the name of God is mercy also where he says words are important, but the gesture is explicit. Yeah, and so oftentimes we don't have words to say, but we can we can offer the embrace or we can sit next to the child. I think this is, yeah. this is what a mercy home would look like. Yeah, I agree. And I think we can all relate to those moments where it's like if you, in the moment, you feel like that's the last thing that you want or need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you let yourself be hugged for a few seconds, you just start crying, mm-hmm. you know, like something inside of you completely, the walls shatter a little bit. But that initial feeling is it feels so wrong at first. And I think it's because it's so vulnerable mm-hmm. when you're in that completely dysregulated st- state. And I think it's the exact same with our children. Like I imagine also with my teenagers, there's been moments where I can see that they're just completely upset and I have no idea what to do to help them. And I've just given them a hug and I have felt their body do it. Like they're tense at first. And I wait a, like a good hug for 20 seconds and I feel inside of them those walls crumble. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us as adults, too, especially if we were maybe formed in a different um, methodology or a different approach to who God is and God's love, we have, we've all encountered children who maybe come to the atrium in the second Mm -hmm. plane who haven't been in the atrium in the first plane. And we see that they have already taken on this very justice oriented judging view of God. Mm-hmm. God and is so watching. I, this, right. And so this, and it, right. And he's, and he's keeping track and he's counting. And so I know as an adult who was mm-hmm. formed that way, I am still trying to undo those thought patterns and those thought patterns affect how I approach my children with, mm-hmm. you know, punishment or mercy. Um, so I think a lot of us have that, that, that we have to, really think about who is God to me? Is my view of God, is it true? Is it really who God is? And then how does that affect whether I choose Mm -hmm. punishment or mercy? Yeah, I agree, Erin. I think that that's the primary work right there is for us to, as the adults, to have that self-reflection of what is our view and being honest with ourselves about it. How, it. how do I view God? What is that foundation of the image of God that was given to me? And is that true? Is that the true nature of God? Yeah, and as I reflected on this, I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit, but yesterday during our priest, he brought up the rich young man. Um, and I looked at the Gospel of Mark because one of my favorite lines from that has always been, you know, after the man says all the wonderful things he's done and all the things he's very good at. He says, what else do I need to do? And it says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. And before Jesus told him what the one thing was, which was give it all away and follow me completely, Mm -hmm. he loved him. And as I thought about that, I realized Jesus certainly knew that this man was not going to be able to do it. He certainly knew how this was going to play mm-hmm. out, but he mm-hmm. lo- looked at him with love. 
And I thought, you know, when I approach my children in challenging parenting Mm -hmm. moments, am I first looking at them with love, knowing that this may or may not be the moment that changes anything? You know, the three-year-old will still have a tantrum probably in a couple of hours, or, you know, the older children are still going to have some attitude adjustments that might be needed. But am I still looking at them with love when I have these encounters? Because that's even when people didn't totally transform their lives or change what they were doing or stop um, or, or leaps in behind, Jesus still looked at them with love. I think we can also apply that to first having that gaze of love on ourselves and our spouses. I think we as parents, we, we tend to always think about being better for our children, but um, I, I really think that it starts with ourselves and our relationship with God, our spouse, and then from all of the growth of that, we will then naturally look at our children easier with love. But And I think the other aspect of this is, is like what you were saying at the beginning, Erin, with when your first encounter with the Good Shepherd program, is you felt like it unlocked the key to your children. I would venture to guess that you probably looked at them with more love when you mm-hmm. understood them more. <laughs> you know, you probably had more mercy for the three-year-old when you understood oh, of course. that these things were normal. You know, I think us understanding these planes of development, understanding more about who these children are that are in front of us, kind of observing them and gazing at them and um, just kind of pondering who this person is. I think that helps it be easier to gaze at them with love. You were talking about understanding who this person is. And I think we, we understand, we begin to understand who our children are in addition to the planes of development um, and all that Montessori has offered us, but also through our our nearness and our proximity and the accompaniment and presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I love in Psalm 103, um, it's talking about the mercy of God. And it says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And I love that this, it, evokes in me a feeling of that he knows our backstory and I think it's from this place of knowing our backstory that he's able to offer mercy because of this nearness this proximity the accompaniment the presence he knows the fullness of what we've been through so is able to offer mercy in the knowing of where we've been and also God has the ability to know where we're where we're going and so I think with our children too mm-hmm. The, the closer we are of proximity, of accompaniment, of presence, not in a hovering way, but mm-hmm. um, in a way that's, you know, as Montessori says in the Decalogue, hidden from the one who has found, but available to the one who is searching. So this, this hiddenness, but availability, accompaniment and presence in knowing our child's backstory, it helps us to offer mercy. And, and to even know that a merciful response is wondering about the possible alibis of a person's behavior. Mm -hmm. So having this accompaniment and presence allows us to know what the person's alibi might be. So if somebody's, if we know that one of our children, for example, is lying to know that, you know, what the alibi is of why they're lying to, to be able to peel back the layers of, of why this is happening. And maybe it's not so much to to lie, to do something that we might say is sinful, but for other reasons. And so to 
have this patience to know where this is coming from. Also in Psalm 103, it says, merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger. And it reminds me of Montessori's quote of wait while observing. So this waiting is slow. It takes a lot of time. And waiting and observing allows us to know what our response should be. And so I think that the mercy home knows what to react to, when to react, what to respond to, what to revisit later, and what to let go. And there may be very few times that we react. Um, the reacting may happen only in times of intervention or crisis. For the youngest child, if a child is, is running out into the street, this may be a time we react. Or if we know an older child is involved in self-harm or has suicidal thoughts, this may be time for reaction. But to know, to be able to distinguish when to react, when to respond, what to come back to and what to let go. Just last night, this is a simple thing, but my 17-year-old was serving himself some Alfredo sauce from the stove. And I was watching as it was happening. And it was kind of getting splashed all over the stove and even on the floor. And in that moment, I could have said, you are making a mess. <laughs> or I could have said something maybe nicer. I could have said, maybe move your plate closer or even slow down your scooping or something. But I realized as a 17-year-old that what I wanted him to know was that I loved him and I was happy that he was getting the food. And so it was something that I let go and knew that later mm. I would clean it up. So I think we have to be very this slow to anger, the wait while observing allows us to know this is not a crisis moment. I don't need to point this out. And maybe someday he'll notice and maybe he won't. Maybe he never will notice that that happens when he's scooping Alfredo's up. But it was something that I can just let go of now. Well, ladies, I think this is a topic that we could probably sit with for a long time. Um, and I think I feel like I say that often on the podcast. I think you do, we, Carrie. I do. Well, because we hit topics that are really deep. And we're all so sad when it ends. Mm -hmm. I know. Me too. I, I always feel like, man, this is one that we could do a whole series on this one topic. I feel mm -hmm. that all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but our goal always is just kind of to scratch the surface to help people ponder deeper if they're feeling called to. Megan, you mentioned... Pope Francis's writing. Would you tell us about that in case anybody wants to dive deeper into that? Um, yeah, it was just a writing that he had called The Name of God is Mercy in preparation for the Year of Mercy. It's really just an interview of a lot of questions that he was asked and he's responding to. So I think there's a lot of insights for us in there. I agree. I think that that is a great resource if we are wanting to dive deeper into mercy within the home would be Pope Francis's writing. We also have a couple podcast episodes that I'll link in the show notes for everybody if they want to dive deeper into especially the moral formation of what we do in catechesis and how that might be able to be applied within someone's domestic church. Well, I'd like to thank you both very much for joining me on this episode and sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thank you. It's been wonderful to be together. Thanks so much.
Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Some resources for you to dive into this really rich subject a little bit more is the book by Pope Francis that Megan lifted up, and I have a a link to be able to read it online in the show notes and also to be able to purchase it. And we also have had a few podcast episodes that I would highly recommend to you as parents. There is a a podcast that I did with Rebecca Royd Savage a few, I want to say two years back maybe, about the moral formation that we do in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I highly, highly recommend this, this episode to you. And again, I'm going to link the episode that I did on the four planes of development, because like we said in this episode, understanding our kids a little bit better helps us to be more merciful to them. As part of our new season three, we have a new form on our website for our podcast listeners to be able to submit a question that we will answer on the podcast. And so if you have a question about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, about formation, about an issue within your atrium or a material maybe, any question that you may have that you would like us to answer, either myself or one of our podcast guests will answer it. So there is a link in our show notes in order to access that form if you would like to submit a question. The top books that we recommend for parents in the work of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd are The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey, which is for the zero to six-year-old. And then we have Life in the Vine, The Joyful Journey Continues, which is for the 6 to 12-year-old. And these are very easy reads that help dive into this work, but also how to help you ponder how you as the primary catechist, the parent of your child, can live into your child's spiritual capacities. One of our primary texts in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is The Religious Potential of the Child by Sophia Cavaletti. And we now offer an audio version of this book through a premium Podbeam channel. So if you are interested in accessing the audio version of The Religious Potential of the Child read by Rebecca Royt Savage, look in our show notes for more details on how to purchase access to that channel. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member and support our work, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.